0: Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's April 24, 2018 and this is episode 616. Today I'm really happy to be able to bring you a conversation with Nancy Lehrer. Those of you that used to participate in our forum before we had to close it down due to constant spamming may well remember Nancy, she always had something useful and insightful to add to the conversation and started a number of great topics herself too if I recall, well Nancy has just written a book called life happens in colour, a street photography manifesto, in which she shares some beautiful photography as well as her firm opinions on the use of colour in street photography. I unfortunately had to have this conversation having only skimmed over the book because I lost the time I'd set aside to read it yesterday to technical issues with the website. But with those behind me now, I really enjoyed this conversation and I think you will too. So let's jump in and listen to my conversation with Nancy Lehrer. So welcome to the show Nancy. Well thank you. It's it's lovely to be able to talk to you today. I um I know it's been a few weeks since you uh let me know about your book and um it's been a number of years actually since we've communicated. Um some people from the uh the old uh forums will probably remember you from many years ago because uh, you were quite active in there and always had some something great to say about the various topics that we discussed so um it was nice to see your name again and uh i'm i really am happy to be able to talk today well thank you so uh let me see you've uh you've just written a a beautiful book um life happens in color uh what's the full a street phot- photography manifesto um and uh you, I I do apologize for not being able to read it thoroughly. Something happened yesterday in my time that I'd put aside to read it. Um, but I have had a good skim through and I, I absolutely love what you've put together. Um, and we'll talk about a few things. I'll, I'll look at a couple of pages later as well. Uh, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into photography.
1: Sure. So I was always you know, in the culture of taking pictures from my father, um, he always had a, he always had a camera and he always was taking pictures of the family. And he always would say, take pictures with people in them. So little did I know that, you know, so many years later that that would be my passion.
0: Yeah. I, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Um, yeah, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, you know, I, I've spent so many years doing pretty much the opposite. Um, and so it, it's going to be great to talk. I do, I have a, I should tell you that I have a huge appreciation for street photography and the sort of work that you're doing. Um, you you rarely see it coming from me. I mean, sometimes when I'm traveling, but um, I the majority of the time I'm looking for, for people-free photos. Um, but I, just based on that, I do understand that, uh, not just street photography, but even in the work that I do, like landscape a lot of the time, just putting a human element in there actually can change the image drastically so um i I thoroughly understand your the excellent advice from your father and uh, and I think it's a gr- it's a great angle that you've built into the book and it's, it's obviously very relevant
1: yeah, so you know I think he was just always interested in people and their behaviors and and, you know, as I thought about more about what I want to do with photography, when we first met, I was, you know, like many people just sort of rekindling their their passion for it. You know, I was doing a little bit of everything, a little bit of, you know, I'd go out to Death Valley mm. with my friends or I'd go do street photography with other friends and, and it just, it, it just coalesced that what I really enjoyed most is observing people and taking their photographs and trying to say something about where we are in society and mm-hmm. what we're doing and what does today look like.
0: So is that, um, is that really what appeals to you about street photography? You know, the, uh, I mean, you're obviously looking at the, the work that you're doing, um, and I, I, love, I really do love the work that you've sent over. We're going to talk about a number of images shortly as well. Um, but, um, is are those the sort of things that really appeal to you about street photography?
1: Yeah, they do. And, and so I sort of see myself sort of in between street photography and documentary photography. So I'm really trying to tell the stories mm. that are out there, um, observing people, um, you know, what's when you do street photography the the criteria for what a good photograph is really nebulous
0: oh yeah yeah
1: so even even concepts of good composition is is debatable um, so I really try to concentrate does it tell a story and and what will what will the photograph look like 50 years from now when somebody looks at it we see so much sort of documentary and what would now we call street photography Mm. from Mm. 50 or 60 or 100 years ago now you know we look at it and say oh my gosh that's what society was like and we can think about it then Mm. so all these people walking around with iPhones now what will that look like 50 years from now you know will people say oh that's old hat or will they say oh I can't believe that phones were that big and that you still (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> work that way we don't know yet so yeah. we better but but if we don't capture it um in an artful way right it's, it's our way of voicing and and showing and capturing what we have now
0: I know. i don't know exactly what you're saying yeah it's it's that's great i mean it, on the technical side you know the i think we're we're probably at a point now where uh even 10 maybe well maybe 15 20 years ago um, the, the idea of, of being able to sh- shoot such amazing images with a phone, as you just said, you know, and then in 10 years time, 15 years time or whatever again, um, things are going to be so much different. And it, it is hard to, to think, fig- to think about, uh, how things are going to change. But I mean, you, you went back a hundred years there as well and things are just going to be so different a hundred years from now, especially at the, at the rate of change. So. I think it's great. I, I do wonder how much, I mean, the image itself, um, like, like the, the light field cameras were going to be the next best thing and they've sort of phased out now. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of happy in, in some ways that it, that it has because I think that the, the two-dimensional, you know, 3D probably has a, has a place, um, but I think that we've got such a huge appreciation of the two-dimensional image on the screen uh, I think as a as a, a a species, we've become used to looking at that type of imagery, and obviously we're surrounded by it. Um, thinking about it, even three D TVs and three D movies, although they they've got their place, they're not they're still not common in sort of the the everyday experience of viewing an image, which we still tend to do in two D. So you know when you you could probably think about this stuff uh, for an hour just just about the the <laughs> possibilities but um i I think that the you know the image itself is probably going to be um not changed so much, but the as you as you touched on there what 's in the image is is always going to give us a an insight into a certain era in time and um I think probably. You know your street photography, the the genre that you're you're excelling in is well, I don't know what you're doing in the other genres, but the this what we're talking about here, you know the the um the contents of the image give us a much greater um vi, uh, you know visual clues and and the they can probably be dated a lot more or a lot better than uh, than i not no landscape or or wildlife and things you know the genres that I tend to work in. Um, so you've got all of the visual clues there but I also think I mean that that where you work I mean you've I don't know how much of your work is done um, traveling I mean you've you've got uh, I see a a photograph from the Mongolian countryside um, which is absolutely amazing Um, so I mean where you work in in your in California you've obviously got some some very uh, rich environments to to shoot there. When when were you in Mongolia? Let's
1: take a look at that. <laughs> so, I went to Mongolia last fall. Okay. So, about about 5 years ago, I said, you know, I need to if I need to see the world. Mm. And I hadn't really I'd done some travel, but they were sort of in the guise of of focused on believe it or not some music research about twenty five years ago mm-hmm. and then you know some travel for work. Wow. But I I really said I need to see the world and I and I started to say, well what's where is there society and cultures that haven't really changed into it just looks like an American shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Um and and then how can I capture that? So I had this opportunity to go to mongolia and it was five days traveling across the mongolian steppe, Yeah. driving from ulaanbaatar out to the western edge of mongolia where they do the eagle festival oh
0: wow yeah
1: and so this was somewhere in between this image was taken somewhere in between on the mongolian um step there but wow. i do i try to take like one travel trip a year
0: oh nice that's great that's definitely going to feed into your photography um, but you 've you know let me i 'm just going to look you know looking at this image again i 'm looking at the day uh, a day in the life um and that 's from page twenty two but you know you've you 've got so much visual sort of content there uh that you've you 've obviously not posed it the the ladies they're doing a cooking there 's a guy over in the back doing something they're just they 're just going them out their everyday life and um, but when you you look at this you 've got the um what are the what do they call the uh those tents there's a um, there's a name for them. Um, I f- I f- oh, the,
1: the in in Mongolia they call them um, gers.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, you see the the slats making the roof and everything, right? You've managed to capture something really there that um, is in some ways timeless. Uh, you know, I, I, I started looking at this as I you know as I spoke earlier because some things you can you can tell the era because of the uh, the the clothes that people wear. And I guess in this, the only thing probably that's changed is, is a, a number, like the lady's shoes. You can see that she's got relatively modern shoes and clothes on. But the, the look of the inside here is probably not going to have changed much in the last 50 years. Um, so you, I think there's, there's some blurring depending on the era that the shot has been made in based on the, uh, you know, where you shoot and what you choose to, to uh, depict in your photographs.
1: Yeah, I was, I was really surprised going through Mongolia that every household we visited had these, um, they had their family pictures up. Hmm. So you, there's some, something you can tell about that because they're in color. Yeah. And then if you look on the left, everybody had their TV. Everybody had a satellite dish and a little TV.
0: Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. And they're brightly colored. Um, oh yeah, yeah, you know, so the Mongolian landscape is this large large swaths of drab you know browns and 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 olive greens, yeah. and then you walk inside their their gers, and and this is what you get these bright oranges and greens and yellows, and
0: yeah yeah i I'll bet that's that's kind of making up for like you know, I think what you're hinting at there is that they' they're sort of compensating for the lack of color outside and um in In many ways, I think that 's what humans tend to do isn 't it we We sort of we long for what we don 't have and then f- try to find ways to compensate for that
1: yeah, I think so
0: yeah um but amazing, I love this photograph um so what motivated you to write the book Life happens in color um especially i mean I noticed that you've you've you 've got color in in um capitals here. And you've got uh, some some pretty cool statements on color in the book as well. But what motivated you to write the book?
1: So so first, it was actually a little bit of frustration and maybe even anger, if I'm totally honest, Mm. as to what I was perceiving as sort of this narrowing focus and definition of street photography. A lot of people talk about street photography as everyday events and black and white and, you know, but a lot of it just doesn't convey very much story and it and you know, why are we using black and white? Is that like a technical choice or an aesthetic choice? Mm, but mm. You know, people hold black and white street photography up as pedestal. Mm. So I was trying to say I'm you know, I was trying to think about why do I use the style I do and, and does it is that really street photography? There are some people who will say it's more documentary or travel or but you know, I wanted to broaden this thinking about what street photography is. And then I had to really go through and, and think about, you know, what do I photograph and why do I photograph it the way I do? So it was really kind of a coalescing of sort of some years of, of thinking that through. Mm-hmm. Why do we photograph? How do you evaluate a good photograph that's, you know, about the street or about everyday life? And, and you know, the sort of the, the topics just sort of came up. Mm. You know, first I'm looking for a story and Mm. then, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely, you know, my, I see color almost before I see, you know, the way the light falls or the way the composition's going Mm. or whatever. So for me, color is really integral. And then, you know, composition's important and, and, you know, and context is important and scenes are important Mm. and stories are important. So it just sort of, it just sort of came together that way.
0: Mm. I love the angle. I mean, and and I don't mean angle as in it's something that you you've done on purpose. It's I I obviously when I saw the the title, I thought that that was what you were you were getting to, and um I you know I read your uh, your chapter on life happens in color and that color carries emotional content. Um, I, I love the Jay Mazel uh, quote that you have there. Uh, I'll, I'll read that out. It's, uh, so some have said that if you take a great picture in color you take away and take away the colour, you'll have a great black and white picture. But if you're shooting something about colour and you take away the colour, you'll have nothing. Um, and that that I mean that's a typical J Mazelism. If that's not it well no, no it's not a word, but um but it's I mean it's true. I I I have to admit, you know, I love black and white images. Um, but I also um fully agree that, you know, if it's about colour, there's then you don't need to be taking it away. Or um, as you say, I mean, if you, especially with the work that you're doing, I, I can see that it's such an integral part, Um, you know, that the image on the page before that, you have a, an image of, uh, of two young boys on a, on a, uh, a fairground ride thing, uh, an amusement park, and it's so much about the color and everything that you you have in the book, really, Uh, maybe not everything, but so much of it is about the color, Um, and so I, I, Definitely agree with what you're saying, and I, I think that there is a certain amount of snobbery and you know, or attached to to black and white photography. Um, but I, I, as much as I love black and white, I definitely wouldn't like to be pigeonholed. And um, you know, I was actually I was talking to a good friend of mine who was here. Um, we went over to to the exhibit that I've I've got at, at Canon's headquarters uh, last week. Um, he was asking about my uh, my hokkaido work because to me a lot of that is black and white it the scenes even if i don't convert to black and white look almost black and white most of them um but he Mm -hmm. was asking if i ever leave any in color and i showed him a few examples there are images where removing the color makes no sense and um what I generally tend to do there is I, I might intensify it a little bit to actually to make the color look a little bit more vibrant. Um, or I, mean, I don't know, I mean, that's not, not generally, but there are times when it makes so much sense to leave it in that um, my default for some of that work is like, okay, I'm just going to go to black and white. Sometimes it really makes no sense, and so I don't think you need to be a snob about trying to remove it from every image because... Um, It can just it can really wreck the the uh, experience of the scene if if you take away some something as important as color if if that's what the image is about so fully understand what you're saying and and I sorry go
1: ahead yeah so so there's an image um, I don't know exactly where I put it I'll have to find it so there's an image of this woman sitting sort of barricading herself behind these two suitcases, it was taken at a train station here in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, and I, and, got, I saw that a moment ago. I'll tell you which page it is in a moment. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: it's page 12. Oh, yeah. Oh, you already know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, um, and and she's wearing this, and, and everything about this image is about defensiveness, but then she's wearing this pink sweater, Yeah, which is so opposite from an emotional perspective <laughs> yeah, yeah. of her defensiveness that, mm. you know... When I saw her, I, I loved her posture and the story she was telling, but then, you know, it was, she'd been wearing a green turtleneck. I, I may have just passed it by.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, and that's yeah. just, that. you know, that's kind of part and parcel of the way I see the world. But that's yeah. what photography yeah. Is, is.
0: Yeah, I you know, I, I really like the fact that you chose to write the book because of that. Um, I think that the... Uh, you know, writing about something that you're passionate about, even though it's it's sort of trying to rebuff a, a a common sort of a message that has been sent out, I I really do like the fact that you've that you've chosen to write because of that. Um, but you've done such a great job of it, and like I say, I mean, I I haven't, I will read this. I'm going to read it as soon as I've finished my. Um, my problems that i've had with the with the server this week um but i i'm you know what i have looked at already just skimming through i really do love it and i can see so much that you're passionate about the color um i love the fact that you've you've got a section on uh, on the perception of color and some of the um the the examples that you've included are really really nice let's We've already touched on a couple of these photographs. You've sent me three images that I would love to actually talk through in a little bit more detail. So uh, let's talk about those. Um, the The first one that, you know, we'll, we'll go in this order. So uh, the first one that I wanted to talk about is at the races. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this photograph?
1: Sure. So, so getting back to, you know, talking about what, is what's going on in the community in society in time today. Mm. So this is a racetrack that's in Southern California, not too, you know, just south of the Los Angeles County border, but you know, so essentially in Los Angeles area. Mm. And it's one of the last two racetracks in Southern California and there used to be many, many of these. And okay. it was built during the height of the Art Deco style, when most of Los Angeles was built, actually, and and so it's for somebody who grew up in this area, and for somebody who's never seen Los Angeles, hmm. this actually epitomizes this whole Art Deco sort of the the you see it in the text, you see it in these figurines on the the figurative um, horses on the on the wall. Hmm. You know, this tells people what. You know, it's a, a big piece of the history of Los Angeles. So that was the first thing I really like about this image and why I chose to to include it in this talk, in this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see all these other like pieces about LA. So um the LA Dodgers are the, the baseball team is very storied. He's a very important, you know, national baseball team. And there he is my subject wearing an L.A. Dodgers hat and L.A. Dodgers blue, which is completely recognizable for anybody who knows something about Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you know, I can teach you about what, you know, <laughs> if you come to Los Angeles and you see all these L.A. Dodgers hats, you'll say, oh. Yeah. Um, and then you just have, you know, just the, all the little details, um, the way they're just completely engrossed in their racing forms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's wearing, uh, you know, his his religion right there on his chest. There's, yeah. He's wearing a big, what I would consider a big crucifix, yeah, yeah, um, right there on his chest. You know, he's kind of tattered, and and it just sort of and and the other thing about this image that I didn't realize till much later is none of these are white Caucasians in this image.
0: Oh yeah,
1: yeah, so it it really speaks to, you know, the sort of. Southern California mix of, of people that we have here. Mm,
0: mm, yeah.
1: And so so we have the composition, we have the detail, we have the story, we have the color of these, these sort of 1930s colors, because they've kept true to that in this thing. Yeah. And so that's, you know, so, this, so it's about this racetrack, Being totally involved in studying the race book that somebody can get within a few feet of you and, you know, wait for the exact moment and line everything up and and all the people there. And so it tells some story about Southern California. It tells some story about racing. It tells some story about immigration and, you know, the melting pot of, of the United States.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and all of that. Um, in in one photograph, right? I mean, you've you've got that. You talk in the in your book about about telling story and you know the making each each image like a, a a visual poem and stuff. And there, you've got so much of that. I mean, and and I know that you're you're sort of you're trying to keep it relatively short there as well. Um, I mean, it, when you look at it, you you can see so much. Other things that I note is that. Um, although they've got all of these these uh, cash and bet windows i think it says there there's only one open and so you know you you mentioned that there are there are fewer race courses now that that are, you know they're all closing down and yet when you look at this and there's only one window taking bets then it's it's kind of understandable um maybe there are days still when they have a a, a race on and they're all open but um you can sort of see that that it's strugg- they're struggling a little bit as an industry as well but the um the place is still pretty it's in good condition you know the, as you say the colors and everything it's all nicely painted and so you you, you sort of you can look at various aspects um and uh, i i just love the the whole thing one thing that always um gets sort of uh, intrigues me when i when I look at uh, street photography and, and good street photography like this, is was the guy aware of you doing, taking the photograph or were you, was it just a candid thing?
1: Um, he, he must have been aware of me, so I don't hide. I actually usually mm. wear a, sort of a safari hat to keep the sun mm. out of my eyes. Um, mm. So I don't hide and I probably was taking this photo for five or ten minutes.
0: Wow, wow, okay. But,
1: but there are times when people are so engrossed in what they're doing that you basically trip them and they wouldn't look up, um, you know, and this, they're very serious about their studying the races. This is this is important for him today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so did he acknowledge you in any way?
1: Um, I don't think so.
0: No, nah, that is so cool. Yeah. yeah. I love that. You know, I, I have I have a number of people that I follow, uh, you know, for street photography and um I, I, this is one thing that always comes up. Um, I remember many years ago, uh, actually it was, it was our mutual friend, Iberian X Perillo that, um, that alerted me to, to the fact that you'd, you'd put this book together. Um, but it was in a conversation with Iberian X many years ago, probably, oh, I don't know, 10, maybe 10 years or so ago when, um, I said that for me, street photography, if, if I had to do it, I'd do it with my 600 millimeters so that I can get as far away from the people as possible. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of true. And it was, it was tongue in cheek, but it was kind of true because um, at, at the time, especially, I was, I, I was really not able to do that sort of thing. Um, now I, I have to be in, in a mode. Um, I say here in Tokyo, I, I have a friend here, Lee Chapman. I interviewed him a few years, maybe a year or so ago for the for the podcast and Lee's work um is it really intrigues me because it's in some ways so sort of in your face but uh he's he's a really nice guy he's he's not out there trying to annoy people but the way he shoots seems so sort of in your face sometimes that um it that always intrigues me but I I personally if I had if I do, I was going to say, if I have to do street photography, and that's kind of how I think about it. Um, but when I do it, it's usually for me, like, uh, for example, in Morocco, um, and I will then go up and, and I'll maybe ask if, because in Morocco you can't really do Candid because it's, uh, people will often just not let you take the photograph. They're, mm-hmm. they're very sort of defensive and sometimes um, quite offensive about it, uh, you know, when they, when they see you with a camera. Um, so it's, it's a different thing, but I, um, I do enjoy uh, street photography for myself uh, in certain circumstances, but I, I think just generally around Tokyo, I mean, I'm, I'm wasting such a, an opportunity in some ways, uh, living in one of the largest cities in the world and not really going out with the camera, um, around me. Uh, but I, I, for me, I, I don't enjoy my own results so much, but I do really enjoy looking at work like yours here and like Lee's. and um, So it, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to someone that does great um, street photography like this. And I, and I guess what I'm saying in a very long-winded way is I have a lot of respect for what you do because uh, it really is beautiful um, and gutsy work to do as well, I think.
1: Sometimes... You know, I get tired of dealing with the negativity. Sometimes you're in negative spaces and I just walk away and do something. And it's a real mixture of whether or not I I acknowledge people explicitly or mm. just implicitly. Mm. I don't try to hide. I don't try to sneak the photo. So they know I'm there. They know I'm taking their photo. Mm. If they say, Don't take my photo, I'll just walk away. It's yeah. not yeah. it's not mm. worth it. Um Sometimes I'll engage them first, sometimes um it'll be a later sort of thing I'll take their photo and then they'll ask me what are you doing and and we'll talk. Yeah. Um So it works both ways.
0: Yeah. What sort of percentage do you find? I mean do do you generally manage to to get your photo and then and not have a, any confrontation or or is it like 20 30% of people that get annoyed or what sort of what's the ratio?
1: Um you know, it's people get annoyed as a smaller percentage than most people would think. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- so I, I was in Venice just just two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, the gondoliers hated having their photos taken. Ah, every day I get my f- cameras in my face all the time. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. You know, you sort of learn to keep your distance. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing. But then I went to the markets. Yeah. And it's like the fishmongers and the mongers. you know, they practically let me stand right behind where where they were, yeah. where they were cutting, cutting and just like paid me no heed.
0: Oh, brilliant. Yeah.
1: So yeah. it just depends. And, and you know, you just sort of establish yourself in the space. You don't sort of run up. I, I don't run and gun. I know there are many, some street photographers who make that their style. Hmm. Um. I just sort of establish myself um they see that i'm serious i'll show them my photos and then they'll relax and mm. and then you know they'll go about their business yeah. i might go to the same place a couple days in a row and you know so the second day i'm there they're more relaxed it just depends
0: yeah oh they're, they're, that's actually a lot of that is great advice um so yeah let's look at the next one this uh so touch the sky um again a, a beautiful photograph tell us a little bit about this
1: yeah, so, um, like I said, we were out in the middle of the, really the middle of of mongolia. and and we had just had lunch. And when it was cold and windy, they would find these um, I guess they were houses, people's houses that that who had turned their living rooms into really small restaurants but we had our own cook and stuff but they would let us use their place in in the middle of the day Mm. and i was just walking around to the side um actually for a little bathroom break Mm. and and i noticed the crack window and i noticed that we had some nice reflections and i thought to myself well maybe i can get some sort of you know picture of the mongolian countryside this small town you know and reflect it with you know something about their current economic state with the cracked window and mm-hmm. sort of the dirty window panes and things like that. And as I was like lining all that up, this mother comes by with her with her daughter mm-hmm. and and it's just, you know, in the right position between the clouds and then she touches the window and I'm like, okay, there yeah. there's your you know, I'm taking photos all the way through, but, you know, that's the one that you edit because that's the one with the gesture that has even more of a symbolic meaning of, you know, it's like, I see it as like this little girl has the future that's the sky's the limit, yeah, you know, very yeah. optimistic, sort of, even though she lives in this. And then you see the whole, this whole ambiance of of Mongolia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah
0: beautiful i mean and such serendipity as well with the the way they just sort of come through just as you're as you're there um it
1: just comes together that's right
0: yeah and and you know being there shooting through and sort of you know noticing um a part of the scene and then sort of getting this this extra Human element come in, and I mean, I guess it comes back to what you were saying you know, photograph scenes with people in them um, they, they came and placed themselves in the shot for you, which is which is beautiful. Um, but yeah, I mean the first thing that that caught my eye when when I saw this was, um, as you were saying, you know the broken window, and uh, that's pretty symbolic, and um, the the fact that you've got this beautiful sky reflected in there. Um, I have to admit, I thought it was a little boy until you said uh, girl, uh, because of the, I don't know, just something about the, uh, the mm-hmm. expression, but then you look at the clothes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's so, so gritty and, um, the sort of the dirt in the window is, is almost overlaid over their skin, making them look a little bit sort of grungy and even, but I think that the whole, the whole thing comes together really, really beautifully. Um, and, and, you know, I love the fact that, uh, for me, you know, being sort of always thinking about trying to get things, trying to be creative and artistic, but at the same time, trying to be techni- technically accurate, I would have been trying to get that, uh, that beam on the window straight. And, and I love the fact <laughs> that I love the fact that uh, that's just totally unimportant and it should be, it should be totally unimportant. Um, I'm sort of, uh, I'm, I'm kicking myself here for For the fact that I even think about that because it's just you know the the way the way you've done this it all comes together so beautifully um
1: i I love her the the mother's um flowered yeah. clothing it almost looks like flowers in the landscape
0: yeah yeah yeah, you know they they're because i mean mongolia is is one of our neighboring countries here in Japan um and the the people there almost you know they they've got very very similar features to the japanese and um you know all of the east asian sort of nations obviously there are there are subtle differences but that sort of clothing um a a lady in the countryside here in japan would would be um would look pretty much at home in that sort of clothing as well um and obviously their features so it's it's very um I don't know, familiar to me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, I, love, I love this sort of work. Uh, so, okay, let's take a look at your last one, the immigrant grandfather. Tell us a little bit about this.
1: Oh, so I was, um, this is taken in Los Angeles in an area that at one time, say even from like the 20s until the 70s, was um, a big Jewish immigrant area. Oh yeah. So Fairfax. Yeah, um yeah, so yeah. you know you're, if when you talk about Los Angeles Delis it's all in the Fairfax district and stuff. Yeah. And and so I was with another fellow and I was doing this project um with John Free actually. You probably know of John Free. Yeah, yeah. And and it was we were we were trying to tell the life of immigrants in Los Angeles and the, and immigrants and transportation in Los Angeles. And so we go into this store, which is like one of the last remaining old fashioned stores on on Fairfax. Uh, I think it's Avenue. Mm-hmm. And. And we get to talking to him and he's a, um, he's a, he's a Persian Jew Hmm. who's been in this country for many years and he's had this store for about 40 years and we're there for at least 35, 40 minutes Mm -hmm. and not a single customer comes in Uh and his shoe boxes, you know, it's just this store with all these shoe boxes. And we're talking to him and he's sort of bemoaning how the neighborhood has changed and and everything that's going on and but then he starts to talk about his family yeah. and he, and you know i'm we're ready we're getting ready to leave and i say well what's your name because i want to write this up i want to write up your story i want to talk about your store I have all these great you know different angles and different views and i have him posing in the store and the like and he tells me this story about how, you know, when he first came, it was Mike, and then he was, but his real name is Mancher, and now he goes by, I think he goes by Mike now. He says, but the name I'm most proud of is Baba Boo, <laughs> which is the name that my granddaughter calls me. Uh-huh. And he reaches for his wallet, and that's, you know, my brain is going, Yeah. don't mess this up. Yeah. You know, I I knew I wanted to get a picture of him holding his granddaughter, because that's so much the immigrant story of you Yukon. Yeah. You know, and you're in this one generation, and then two generations later, and, and yet you look at his granddaughter, and she's so Syrian looking. Mm. You know, she, no intermarriage here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's so proud of her, and he's just pulling this picture out of his wallet. And so that's, I knew I wanted to capture that in this yeah. picture.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you've got, you've got so much in this um i I think it's totally interesting that you don't include the gentleman's face and yet um you, you can almost totally depict what he looks like just from the from his hands and and the the posture but then yeah i mean it's all about this photo and um i i the the thing that always um interests me in about about photography in general is that uh, you know, a great photo like this will always make you think about more than what's in the photo. And I instantly started thinking about um, how my dad, um, when, when my dad passed away, just some 20 odd years or so now uh, ago, um, I, I remember my, my sister getting emotional because he'd still got a photo of her when she was about six in his wallet um, right. and, and I think you got a little, a little note in there about, you know, daddy, I love you and all of this. And, and know yeah, I mean, it's just amazing how people keep these things in their wallets. And I, I started to think about all of that and, uh, you know, it's just great that you can, you can look at a photograph and it starts to bring back all, all sorts of other things. Um, and I think that's a, that's a tribute to the, to the content and the, and obviously the way you photograph this. Uh, but I, I can imagine that This is f- this is your equivalent of, of me trying to focus on an, on an eagle as it flies towards me. You know, you've got you said earlier, don't <laughs> don't mess it up. You're going right. you, he's probably moving his hand back and forth. You've got relatively shallow depth of field. You want to get the photo and his hand sharp, and so you're sort of there. I mean, do, do you is your camera? What sort of camera? I know it's the people will say it's not about the camera all of this, but you know you can't take photos <laughs> without a camera. So, what sort of camera are you using?
1: So I'm using um, the Olympus uh, Micro Four Thirds system.
0: Mm, nice. Um,
1: and um, and and this was actually taken. So I got frustrated. So Olympus makes a great line of lenses, mm. um, and they're all very fast and and they're all very sharp, except for the one that I like to use most, which is um, what would be equivalent to a 35 millimeter. Mm. So so this was actually taken with a um, a Voigtlander manual focused. Uh-huh. what's a seventeen millimeter on, on the Olympus, but a thirty five millimeter camera. Oh, yeah. So all the more and it's it's got a like 0.95, 0.95 yeah. opening, which uh-huh. is how you can take sort of pictures like this. Yeah with such a small sensor and still get the depth of field. And so, so it's all manual focus, but you know, you have good focus peaking and and that's what I'm saying. You just like, don't mess this up. Don't cut off too much. Don't cut off the edge of the wallet. You know, it's like all those things, all the framing and and everything else. So, so I, I, I work with the Olympus. I work a lot with a fixed 35 millimeter lens. Hmm. Um, Olympus just came out with a great, um, autofocus 35 millimeter lens Uh, just bought but uh but yeah
0: you know that that's the reason i asked because i was thinking um just by i don't know i got something from the way you said that that you were probably in manual focus um and so sort of confirming my suspicions there um but you also you talked about some of the things that are so important and often things that people don't get until you you become a little bit mature as a photographer like you're saying um, don't cut off the edge of the wallet um, and I, I I always try to impress on people especially on my workshops that you know they, it's so important to keep your eye on not just what, what is what is holding your attention and making you want to, to you know actually make the photograph in the first place but uh, everything around the, the frame you're, you're responsible for everything that's in the frame and everything that you leave out and so you know, the fact that you that you're aware of those things uh, to me uh, really, really shows how mature you are as a photographer. And so it's it's great to hear you talk, you know, say, say those things.
1: Yeah, you know, I spent um, I've spent quite a bit of my mentorship with Sam Abel.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, there you are. He is a master
1: there. at talking about composition and how to think about the relationship of objects and yeah. and the like.
0: Oh, brilliant. That's amazing yeah so um let's see we've um we've talked about your images let's um i, I often like to ask this uh, of people that i talk talk uh, you know in an interview sort of situation can you give us three pieces of advice um for the for the audience for making you've already given so much advice but um three three pieces of advice for making better street photographs.
1: Sure. Um, so beyond looking for a story and think about color,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you've already touched on. Yeah.
1: Which we've touched on. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, and again, I mentioned Sam Abel and, and I can't mention him enough. He's just the most amazing teacher and the most honest and authentic person you'll ever want to interact with. Mm. Um, he, teaches this concept of composing and weight. and a lot of people do but um it people think that street photography are grab shots that you see something and you just try and flip your camera around and take one and gun and mm. and it's it's not that at all uh, mm. rarely are my best photographs you know these grab shots um also so my per- first piece of advice is you can either like go subject first mm. And and then, but when you do that, you have to, like, make sure that your first thought should be, where is that subject going? Mm-hmm. Where do I need to be in order to frame that subject in a compositionally, in a way that compositionally makes sense? Mm, yeah, yeah. So So, it's not just twirl around and take the picture. It's like, where do I need to be? Where do I need to go? So yeah. that's sort of subject first. Or it can be a background first kind of thing. Like, hey, look, this is really amazing, um, you know, uh, backdrop. Maybe, mm. you know, that that scene in Santa Anita, um, you know, there's a one window open. I'm going to stay there until I get a really nice arrangement of the right people, you know, some character wearing, you know, a big cross on his neck or something. yeah. yeah. Um, and the lineup, right? So it could be either composition first, or it could be background first, or it could be subject first. Yeah. But really, composing way is really sort of a big key into not cutting off the edge of the wallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> because you're ready for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, excellent so, advice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then and then you know keep it keep your gear simple. So. I always I've, I'm almost always shooting with with primes these days mm. and it started because when I first went to the Olympus system those were the good lenses they had the primes were kind of kick primes you know without they weren't fast they weren't yeah. you know they were they' were okay they were fine but so I went and I started really just shooting with 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 prime lenses and so when you keep it simple and when you do that you really teach yourself, to know what's going to be in the scene before you even raise the camera. Mm, And that's another big piece of understanding where do you need to be in order to get the framing you want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. 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 Brilliant advice.
1: So, um, and then, you know, my third piece of advice is just, just, um, you know, shoot through the scene. Don't think about, you know, um, one and done, oh, I see something, go shoot, but, but really shoot through the scene, you don't know if the next gesture, the next motion is going to be better or worse than the one you just shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't know when it's, if it's going to evolve into something great and something else is going to come in and, and really make a relationship that you hadn't thought about, mm. or if it's just going to fall apart. But you just, you just, you know, it's never just one image. It's, it's, some series of images that that happen over a short period of time
0: yeah you know i mean that's great advice too i mean everything you said there is is golden but the um i i've heard people talk about you know they they know people that will go and they'll they'll take a look they'll walk around and then they'll shoot one frame and walk away and i think in certain circumstances that that can be done and and it may even be the best way to do it for especially for some people but there's i i work very similar to you to you what you've just said there in that you know it's often a case of of working the scene and and then continuing to see what happens but uh it's in your in street photography and you know in the work that, we to, that we're talking about today it's so much more important i think um, you know say for a static subject like a uh, what I often do as a landscape work for example you know it might be about wet, about the light the how the the sky looks at particular times walking around a, a, something to get a a, a different angle but um, like earlier with your photograph uh, of the the lady with the child in in Mongolia I mean that that there is is a prime example of what you've just said you know it started off photographing the window and the reflection and then you get the person come in and and then you know that the hand against the window is the is the key frame. Um, you may end up shooting past that and continuing to get other frames, but then you you pretty much know that that's the one um, and that, i also that I just reminded myself of of something else that i've i've um talked with people about over the years uh, I think there's also uh I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think there's also a a certain amount of confidence in, and this is perhaps also comes from maturing as a photographer, but um, some people will continue to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and end up with hundreds of images of, of one thing. And I think that sometimes that may be necessary, especially with wildlife and things like that. But um, I, I think that there's also a certain amount of confidence. If you, once you know, you've got the shot, you sort of, you can be, confident to stop and walk away and then go and see what else there is to you know because every every minute you spend working or, or i don't know flogging a dead horse as them as you might <laughs> say uh, every minute you spend doing that is time that you could be creating a, another masterpiece or, you know down the street so uh, i think that the having the confidence to know when to stop is also an important aspect I'm not sure i'm not sure if you feel that in your own work as well
1: yeah, that's, that's interesting. So typically like, like in street photography, like, like the cover of my book, it's these two girls that are sort of talking, one sort of whispering a secret, leaning over whispering a secret. So I had spent, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes taking their portrait, talking mm-hmm. to them. Um, and they were just waiting for this parade to start in, in Oaxaca. Yeah. And then they forgot about me. Oh, yeah, and so that's yeah. when, you know, that's, that's when I said, well, you know, these, these two girls are so, they're so cute. They just happen to match perfectly with the walls behind them. Yeah. They tell the story of what's going on that day. And so it was really just, it, it wasn't even just shooting through sort of a specific static scene. It was continuing to shoot the subject. Yeah. And, and then, you know, they'll get up and go away and join their parade and it's done
0: yeah yeah oh yeah there's obviously with your with your type of work there's going to be time well with any type of work i guess there's going to be times when the scene depicts when it's done as well um but yeah no it's great
1: so what's funny is when when i would when i was still trying to do landscapes Mm. (laughs) i would end up taking the same landscape like over and over i'd like take it once and then i'd like look around and I do something else and I come back and I said, Oh, that's cool. And I take it again. (laughs) I've I've done that. Yeah. You know, I could never keep track of whether I got it or not.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's your brain finding the same sort of thing appealing. And uh, so, I mean, that shows that you've, that your sensibilities are sort of, are, are constant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've done that. I, I sometimes I'll work a scene, I'll go, I'll shoot something and then I'll, I'll, I'll walk around, come back, and the sky's a little bit different, a little bit better, maybe. So I'll shoot it again. So yeah, and and quite often um, that that sort of you reach a point when you say, okay, that's the one, and then I sort of relax, and I think that that's the confidence that I'm thinking of. Uh, It's the confidence to know that you've got the one that you really wanted after all. Yeah. Um, but excellent. Um, I've uh, we're coming up on an hour, so I, I we'll we'll start to wrap this up. But um, obviously, again, a beautiful book. Um, I've I have sort of skimmed through and looked at some of the key areas, and I I love what you've put together. Um, where can people go uh, to if if anyone's interested in picking up a copy? Where can people go to get that?
1: Sure. Well, it's a self published book on Blurb,
0: yeah. so.
1: Um, my website has a link to it, has a prominent link to it, I hope. And <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so where's that?
1: That's inancyimages.com, yeah. um, and that's the easiest way to find it.
0: Got it. Okay, well, I'll include a, uh, a link to that in the show notes. Um, and this this post is going to be at mbp.ac slash 616. So if anyone wants to go over there or goes directly to inancyimages.com, um, and you can, you can grab a copy, and I, I really recommend you do. Um, I'm looking forward to sitting down and really reading through these pages, uh, just as soon as we've got this uh, this week's episode out. Um, but thank you so much for your time today, Nancy, and for, for all of your insights. It's it's been a lot of fun, and um, I, I'm sure the audience are going to enjoy this.
1: Well, thank you, Martin.
0: Not at all. That was a great conversation. So, as I mentioned. The blog post for this week's episode is at mbpac 616 and also I mentioned that you know the closest I come to this kind of photography myself is uh, my Morocco trip. So if you'd like to join this year's Morocco tour and workshop from November twelfth to the twenty third. We do still have some open places, so check out the details at mbp.ac morocco. Thanks very much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast, please share a link with your friends. Subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast program to ensure an interrupted delivery. If you have a moment to rate the podcast or leave us a review in iTunes, that helps to keep us relevant in the huge number of podcasts out there now. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, etc. And links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com. so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode but in the meantime you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye bye.